Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 20. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your church and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt so to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. My name is Dale Williams. I'm one of the preaching team. And uh, this morning we began a new series called Father Abraham. But we need to get this all in perspective. And so let me remind you what we talked about last Sunday as we presented the vision for our church for the last, for the next four years. Pastor Zach, speaking for the church leadership and elders, painted a picture of where our church is headed in the next four years. The destination towards which we are moving is to become a church of disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now this vision grows out of the mandate given to us by the resurrected Christ when he said to his disciples and to us, as you go to and fro, make disciples of all nations, 
by teaching them everything I have told you and by baptizing them into the new life of following Christ. And I will be with you, energizing you all the way until the end of the age. Now that's my own paraphrase of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. But out of a deep and prayerful study of this mandate, we crafted the vision for our church, LifePoint, in Northern Colorado in 2022 until 2026. Let me repeat it. Our vision is to build a church where all of God's people are speaking God's word with dependence on God's spirit in order to move them one step at a time toward Jesus and becoming like him. I think that's worth repeating. A church where all of God's people are speaking God's word with dependence on God's spirit in order to move people one step at a time towards Jesus. We dream of a church of disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now this vision will not happen overnight. It will not happen unless we have consistent, determined engagement by all of us in this effort. It will take hard work and discipline and commitment from each of us doing our part. It is a journey of faith. It cannot be finished in a hundred yard dash. It will take time and it requires steadfast commitment for the long haul. And so that is why as we begin this study about Abraham and his journey of faith, why it is so important to learn lessons from this man of God. It is a journey of faith. By faith, Father Abraham embarked on a journey into the unknown and an uncertain future. It's similar to us today. Our world faces a very uncertain future. Global pandemic, looming recession, political strife, culture wars, all are contributing to making our world and our future very uncertain. So how can we move forward in an unknown future? And I believe that this series that we begin today on the life of Father Abraham will help us to learn some very valuable lessons that will guide us into the uncertain future and our own journey of faith. So our study begins in Genesis chapter 12, and it will take us through Genesis chapter 22. In the next few weeks, we will look at each of these chapters. 
and we need to examine them carefully. In this first chapter, chapter 12, that was just read for us, we need to see two things very clearly. First of all, the call of God to Abraham. And second, we need to see the response of Abraham to that call. So first of all, God's call to Abraham. Now there are three things that stand out in this call to Abraham. There is a plan, there is a command, and there is a promise. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we read the command of God to Abraham and the promise of God to Abraham. By the way, I'm going to use the word Abraham, even though here at the beginning he's called Abram. Later on, God will change his name to Abraham, but just to be, avoid some confusion, I'm going to call him Abraham all the time. Is that okay? I'm talking about the same person, by the way. We must, first of all, see how the command and the promise fit into the plan of God. The plan of God begins way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God promised Eve, after they had sinned, that she would have a descendant, an offspring that would wound the head of Satan. Now, the word he uses there for seed or offspring is singular. And so the descendant is one person, namely Jesus Christ. And so among the descendants and generations after Adam, we should be looking for this promised seed, the one promised to Eve. But in the generations after Adam and Eve, we saw that the whole human race sank deeper and deeper into sin, totally corrupted by sin. The promised seed of Eve did not appear. And so God in his wrath destroyed all of humanity because of their sin by means of a flood. One man and his family escaped the flood because he alone found favor with God, and his name was Noah. And after the flood that destroyed all human beings, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God did not abandon his plan to send the promised seed, the one who would rescue us from slavery to sin. So the question is, which son of Noah would God choose as the progenitor of the promised Savior seed? One of his sons, Ham, was disqualified because he violated the privacy of his father by looking on his nakedness. And therefore, Noah put a curse on Ham and his descendants. Now, we see that in Genesis chapter 9. That's just three chapters before the chapter we're looking at today. And there he predicts that Ham and his descendants would serve the other brothers. In chapter 10 of Genesis, 
we see some of the descendants of Ham. They included a son named Egypt. It included Canaan and all the Canaanites who dwelt in Palestine from Sidon down to Gaza and over into Sodom and Gomorrah. It also included the people of Shinar. Shinar is modern-day Iraq. And so in the land of Shinar, in modern-day Iraq, among the descendants of Ham, one man rose and became very powerful, the first ruler of his kind. His name was Nimrod. He built the city of Nineveh. Then he gathered his people together and built the Tower of Babel in central Iraq. You can read the story in Genesis chapter 11, just the chapter before the one we're looking at today. And all of the people were gathered together. They spoke one language, and they wanted to build a tower up to God and thereby establish their dominance and their control over the whole earth. But God confounded their language into many different dialects. And so the people could no longer work together, and they were scattered over the face of the earth. Meanwhile, the descendants of Japheth settled in the land north of Palestine and along the coastlands. We don't hear much more about him. But then Noah blessed his son, his firstborn, Shem, in Genesis chapter 9. And the descendants of Shem settled in the eastern lands of Persia and Armenia. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And their great cities was Ur of the Chaldeans in the southern part of Iraq, and Haran in northern Iraq along the fertile valley of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. So by the year 2000, that is the time of Abraham, they were becoming the dominant force in that part of the world. But Noah blessed Shem and said that the descendants of both Japheth and Ham would serve him. Shem, therefore, became the chosen ancestor through whom the Savior's seed would come. And so at the end of chapter 11, you can read the ancestry of Abraham and how he was born into the line of Shem, the son of Noah. In fact, he was the 10th generation from Noah. But what we must see very clearly here is that when God called Abraham, this was according to plan. This fit into what he had been doing since Eve and through the flood and the call of Noah and all of his plans. He was manipulating and guarding and guiding these generations each step of the way, each generation after generation. We need to realize that God is the sovereign over human history. And it's in his providence that he is working out his plan. And that brings us to Genesis 12, 1, 
where God begins to create the people and the nation through whom he will come and send one seed who will be the Savior and bring the blessing to all the nations of the earth. You see, this call of Abraham is part of his plan. And that's how it fits in. So that's how we get come now to the command that God gave to Abraham. In verse 1, the, the command is very succinct and pretty simple, actually. Get out, leave your family and home, and go to the land I will show you. Now, there's two parts to that. The first part is you need to leave. Leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house. Now, when did God give this command to Abraham? Verse 12, 1 says, God said, but actually the tense of that word said is in the past tense. He had said. In 11, chapter 11, when he gives the ancestry of Abraham, it says, Terah left, and that's Terah is the father of Abraham. And he had left the Chaldeans with Abraham, Sarai, his barren wife, and with Lot, his fatherless nephew. And so most scholars believe that this command first came to Abraham while he was still in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now this first part is a call for separation, a call to leave your family, to leave your home. It's a drastic call to leave your country and change your language and your customs and even to change your gods. Because you remember, in those days, every tribe and ethnic group had their own tribal god or gods. And to leave a family and to leave a country would mean leaving the protection of that tribal god that you had. So it's not a simple thing when God said, leave your country and your kindred, leave your God too. It will require some drastic changes. It will require that Abraham leave behind his old way of life in order to begin something new. And then God says, go to the land I will show you. <laughs> the word go is pretty clear, but what is not clear is, where are you going? <laughs> I mean, God, okay, go, but can't you at least give me a hint where I'm headed? No, it seems God says, you just start out and I'll show you eventually where you're going. <laughs> I think God is calling Abraham to make a journey without revealing a destination. And to, he's to start out on this journey without a clear picture of where he's headed. And so it is a great step of faith. That's what faith is. If you knew where you were going, it would be by sight. If you don't know where you're going, it's by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Abraham, sums it up very nicely. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out 
to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> I'm not sure I would do that. But maybe that is why we call this a journey of faith. Now imagine that you had, Abraham had this card that you've all filled out. And God is saying, okay, now I want you to go, and this is our destination. There it's in the future, but all the details aren't clear. And you had, imagine you're Abraham, and he's got this card. What, and the first question is, list some concrete details of how your life will be different in four years. <laughs> what do you think Abraham would say? Write down. Well, I, first of all, I don't know how my life is going to end up. You know, I'm 75 years old now, and in four years I'm going to be 79. Well, that's not too bad because he lives to be 175. <laughs> but this means that half of his life is over. But on the other hand, my wife is barren, and you say I'm going to be the father of a new nation. So how is this going to work? If my wife is barren and I don't have any children, I'm going to die in a strange land and there's not going to be anybody who will bury me and I, nobody will remember my name. I'll be living in a as a stranger in a foreign country. I can't speak the language. I'll feel like a man without a home and I don't belong anywhere. I'm always out of place. And besides, I don't know how I'm going to make a living. Oh, I have some herds of animals, but... In this new land, wherever it is, will there be pasture land? Will they allow me to have my camels and my sheep and my, all of the, what, how am I going to do this? How will I survive? And besides, I'm going to be cut off from my family. I'll be lonely. I won't have anybody to talk to. Everything will be different. The food, the clothes, the markets, the gods. All of these are unknowns. They're uncertainties. And I'm sure Abraham, he had a lot of questions. That's why the promise of God is so important. God's commands are never given without promises. He never asks us to do something without enabling us and giving us the resources we need to do what he asks. The promise God gives Abraham is found in verses 2 and 3, and it contains three elements. I will make you a great nation, I will make your name great, and I will bless all families of the earth through you and your descendants. Now, we don't have time to go through each one of those, but just briefly, I will make of you a great nation. Now, remember, this is in the context of chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis, where we have just seen how all of these nations of the earth scattered abroad after the Tower of Babel, and these are nations all over the, the world by then, speaking different languages. And we read about the tower and how he confounded the languages, and now they're scattered around. There are ethnic groups everywhere. And now God tells Abraham in the midst of all of these nations across the world, I'm going to make of you and your descendants a special great nation. 
Your descendants are not going to be lost or swallowed up among all the other nations. Instead, they will stand out as a great nation. And you and the nation I create out of your descendants will be my special treasure and will receive my special attention. I will make of you a great nation. Second, I will make your name great. You will be honored and respected and a desire among all of the nations. Remember, that's what the people were trying to do at the Tower of Babel. They wanted to build a tower so that they could make their name great. But now God says to Abraham, I will do for you what none of the other nations could do for themselves. Among all of the nations, I will make you a great man, known and respected. And I am going to make you a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise comes at the end of verse 3. And it was ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the seed promised to Eve, but Jesus Christ is a descendant of Abraham. And he was sent by God to die for the sins of the whole world. And all those who repent and believe in him will be saved and made children of God. And so Jesus told his first disciples, that first generation of believers, to go and make disciples of all peoples and all nations. And by going into all of the neighborhoods and all of the nations of the world, we are bringing the blessing God promised to Abraham to all of the nations. And so today, our vision for LifePoint is fulfilling the vision that God had given to Abraham to make more disciples. And by that, we are continuing the plan of God that he had from the very beginning. Isn't that all amazing? These promises that God gave to Abraham, by the way, are unconditional. We'll talk about that later in this series. But that means that these promises are given without conditions. Their fulfillment does not depend on Abraham's obedience or his compliance. God in his sovereign promise, providence will bring these promises to pass. And nothing can thwart the unconditional promises of God. So how does Abraham respond to this call that is according to God's plan, that has a command and a promise? Abraham, first of all, obeys, and then he worships, and then he falls on his face. <laughs> but first of all, he, he obeys. Verse 3 Verse 4, I'm sorry. Abraham obeyed God and did as the Lord told him. Now, it is true that he obeyed, although it was in stages, from Ur of the Chaldeans up to Haran, 
And then he waited until his father died. By the way, Terah, his father, died when he was 205 years old. So he had a little bit of a wait there. But finally, Abraham, after his father's death, picked up, packed his bags, got his herds together, and at the age of 75, he sets out for the land that God was going to show him. And he obeys God and continues to the land that God had promised. But he brings his nephew Lot along with him. Lot had been with them ever since they had left Ur. So even though Abraham obeys in stages, he still is obeying, and he's going in the right direction. However, Lot is with him. And even though God had said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land of I will show you, God's, Abraham still brings Lot along. Now, there's a lot of speculation about Lot. Why did Abraham bring him? Lot is his nephew. And we learn in chapter 11, when he's given this genealogy of Shem and coming down through Terah and then to Abraham, that Abraham's brother was named Haran, like the city up north, and he had died while he was in Ur the Chaldeans, and that left Lot without a father. So Lot apparently is like an orphan, and it seems that Abraham took him in as his own son, and it would be a very reasonable thing for him to do in that culture. But it's going to cause problems for Abraham later on. Lot is going to cause a lot of problems, <laughs> the pun intended. <laughs> Compromise in obedience never pays off. But Abraham went into the land in obedience, and he came to a place called Shechem. Now, I've got a map up on the screen that will show where this is located. It's sort of right in the very middle of the land of Palestine. And when he arrives there, Abraham builds an altar and worships the one true God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Shechem is right in the middle of the land of Palestine. And the first thing that the scripture says about Shechem is that it was surrounded by Canaanites. Now do you remember who the Canaanites are? There's a children of Ham, the cursed son of Noah. And it's Canaanites who are inhabiting all the land. They are the cursed sons of Noah. And it is the, among these cursed people of Canaan that Abraham receives the fourth promise. This is a stunning promise. 
And it's made in this context of being surrounded by the Canaanites. God's promise here is, and I will give this land to your descendants. Now we have the promise of the land. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant. He had already promised he'd be a great nation, he would have a great name, and he would be a less blessing to all the families of the earth. And now he's saying, and I'm going to give you this land, which now belongs to the Canaanites. Now this promise was almost completely fulfilled when Joshua and the people of Israel finally entered the land about 600 years later. They began their campaign by gathering at Shechem to remember the covenant and build an altar to God. We see that in Joshua chapter 8. So after they have defeated their enemies and have gained ownership of the land, Joshua again calls the children of Israel to Shechem to show them that the promises have been kept. He asked the Israelites again to make their own promises to God and to serve him and to obey him. And so this is what they do. And just as Abraham builds an altar to God at Shechem, so also do the people of Israel under Joshua 600 years later. And it is at Shechem where Abraham received the promise, and it is at Shechem that the people of Israel received the fulfillment of that promise. Isn't that amazing? God's plan will never be thwarted. And Abraham responds to this promise of a land by building an altar and worshiping the Most High God. He builds an altar to Yahweh, it says. Abraham is making a drastic shift in his faith right here. This means he is abandoning and leaving behind the tribal gods of his family and his kindred that he had prayed to up to this point. And now he is intentionally committing himself to the one true God. He's declaring his allegiance to Yahweh and by faith claiming Yahweh as his God and protector. Abraham becomes a dedicated believer in Yahweh and he is no longer a pagan with many other gods, but a worshiper of the one true God, Yahweh. And this is the beginning of the first monotheistic religion in the world. Called out of the mess of all of the polytheism surrounding him. It's a pivotal moment in world history that now God, the one true God, is calling out a people who will worship him and him alone. Now, Abraham, after all of this, obedience and worship, he falls flat on his face. And I know some of you are secretly saying, well, I'm glad to see he's not so perfect after all. Maybe I can identify with him. You see, he's tested. 
He leaves Beth, uh, Shechem and he goes down to Bethel. He builds another altar. And then he goes on down to the Negev and near Hebron. But that's when the test hits him. Verse 10 says, there was a severe famine in the land. Famine in the land of promise. That God had just said, I'm going to give it to you. Famine in the land, a promise to his descendants and their in, as their inheritance. And how does Abraham respond? <laughs> out of fear, not out of faith. And out of fear, he hightails it down to Egypt. And he flee, flees to Egypt. And not only does he not trust God, but when he gets to Egypt, he fabricates this lie about his beautiful wife, Sarai, in order to protect her from sexual slavery. We don't have time to go into all of the cultural customs of those days, but it was common for a mighty king or powerful person to look around and find all of the beautiful women, and he would collect them and bring them into his harem so that he could have a choice of whoever he wanted in his harem. And so when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians, sure enough, following custom, they saw that this woman, Sarai, she was very beautiful. In verse 15, it says, the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And according to the customs, when you took, they took one of these women, they needed to pay a dowry to the family of this beautiful woman. And so Pharaoh pays a dowry to, he thinks, the brother of Sarai, Abraham. And so Pharaoh gives Abraham all kinds of wealthy gifts. He gives him sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. I don't know, I wish we had time to sort of think about what in the world was going through Abraham and Sarah's mind right at this moment. I mean, they're married. But Pharaoh comes and takes Sarah off to the harem and leaves Abraham all alone. And he doesn't put up a fight. What? I, I don't know. I have all kinds of questions. We don't have time to go into it. But I, he's just all mixed up in this lie that he's putting on. And Pharaoh, because this is a dangerous thing. If Pharaoh actually marries and consummates the marriage with Sarah, it would thwart God's plan. <clears throat> and the descendants would not be the ones who would inherit the land that he had just promised to Abraham. <coughs> but the plan of God is never thwarted. And so God intervenes. His in unconditional promises still stand. And even though Abraham is not trusting God and he's living in a lie and deception, God intervenes and he plagues the house of Pharaoh. And it gets all kinds of disease and people are dying and nobody's bearing any children and things are just going wrong. And it says in verse 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your, your, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? 
I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. <laughs> well, I don't know if he said it quite like that, but that's what he meant. Do you see the irony of this? Here is a pagan king correcting the prophet of God. Wow. It was a royal rebuke. And Abram would hopefully learn his lesson, although we're going to learn he probably didn't. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that land. Maybe some of you have failed, and today you're sort of burdened and you wonder where, where it's going. Let me give you this promise. Even though you failed, God is going to be patient with you. And he's going to deal kindly with you. And he's going to turn your mistakes into blessings. And he is not going to go back on his promises. When Abraham left Egypt, he was richer than when he came. It was probably during this gift of, that Sarah received the gift of Hagar as her maid servant. And later, this Hagar became a huge stumbling block for Sarah and Abraham. But God promise and his plan will not be thwarted by your mistakes and by your fa failings. God is on the throne. So I need to ask you a question, and this is the question for this whole message. How should we respond when God calls us to follow him? What is our response when we have before us a vision and God wants to deal with us and he wants us to follow him? You have the card, and you need to get it out now, and you need to look at it. This is a serious moment in which I'm going to ask you seriously to look at that third question. Ask God in prayer, Lord, what next steps could I begin today to follow God's plan? Let me suggest three possible questions, avenues of your answer. You take the one that fits you most. Perhaps it's obedience. Perhaps you're ready to dive in, and you want to be involved, and you want to be engaged. And so what you ought to be writing down is, I'm going to join one of those life groups, or I'm going to get involved in a service project, or I'm going to write down now the name or two names of my neighbors, and I am going to obey God, and I'm going to intentionally, in the next four years, find ways to share God's word and God's truth with them. Obey him. You're ready to do that. Write down the name. But maybe you're saying, I still am not sure. You need to make the decision. You need to make the commitment. You need to take a time, either now 
in prayer or later in the next 24 hours. Get alone before God in prayer and make this commitment to him. In the next four years, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I'm scared to death. I have all kinds of questions, but I am going to pursue your call. Write down the date. This is my commitment. You need to commit. But some of you are still on the fence. And in your heart you say, this is just not for me. I just don't see how I can fit into that. You've got all kinds of excuses. Maybe you're like me. You're an introvert. And we introverts, we just don't like talking to people. Especially about serious things like spiritual truths and, and how do you relate to God and how is he working in your life and, and all of those things, they just, they just make me nervous. Maybe you're saying that, maybe you're a senior and you're saying, I've already done my service. I've already done all of, I've served in Sunday school. I've done all of these things. I need a rest now. Those are just excuses. And right now, you need to write down here, I need to deal with those excuses. They're excuses. They're not reasons to not be involved. And you need to write down my excuses. I'm, I'm just scared. I don't feel prepared. I'm too old. I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't have any connections. I, on and on and on. Write it down, because in the next four years, you've got to deal with it. Either obey, commit your life to the Lord, or begin to deal with the excuses. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, you call us like you called Abraham. Get out. Leave your old ways. Commit your life to my plan to make disciples of all nations. By following my plan, you will find abundant life, and I will make you a special part of my family, a child of God. Oh, Father, you promised that those who follow you, you will be with them and energize them until the end of the age. And on the basis of that promise, today, Lord, we commit ourselves to following you on this journey of faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.